As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. The race is on. And Daniel Ricciardo is back in Formula 1 with Alfa Tari and will make his return in the Hungarian Grand Prix in place of Nick de Vries. But how will he fare in one of F1's worst cars? Why has the change been made? And is it unfair on the driver he replaces? I'm Ed Straw and joining me to discuss those questions and many more is Scott Mitchell-Malm. Well Scott, I don't know about you but this announcement was a blend of completely expected and predictable and totally unexpected depending on which particular aspect of it you're looking at. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. I don't think anybody is too surprised to learn that Red Bull has ousted Nick De Vries after uh, just uh, just 10 races, hasn't even made the summer break. Um, I'll be honest, I thought and was led to believe that Liam Lawson would be first in line should they act in season. And Lawson might actually be sort of longer term the driver that Red Bull does want at, at Alpha Tauri because... Daniel Ricciardo is going to have bigger ambitions than than driving for the sister team, as as we'll no doubt get into. But should we uh, should we take the listeners behind the podcast curtain and uh, explain where we were and why this disrupted our rather convivial e- uh, afternoons as much as it did? Well, I think you're painting a dangerous picture. We were having very important high level of the race meetings, were we not? We were, but that those meetings had more or less concluded, and we were all about to go in and, and, and enjoy just a, a, a pleasant pub lunch when word started to filter through and as you probably could tell by my reaction and no doubt our colleagues we had uh, Matt Beer the editor of the the website and uh, Josh Sittill who's obviously on this podcast the last couple of uh, Grand Prix um, you all three could probably tell that I was uh, less than best pleased about the disruption I immediately had my laptop out at the table and started uh, firing off some messages to check some information and start 
penning a couple of columns. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was one of those, wasn't it? I, I I love it when stuff like this happens and you pile into it. And you know, the podcast is one of many things that we're 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 doing on it. But they um, they do tend to come at the most inconvenient times, don't they? It feels to me like this is the point where you consider Red Bull and Helmet Marco have gone too far. This is the line you're drawing in the sand. Yeah, exactly. Why well, you, you're inter- interrupting my chicken burger. Um, but actually, it's just occurred to me that the last time Red Bull did an in-season driver swap, it came at a very, very inopportune moment um, because I wouldn't uh, advocate this to any of our younger listeners, but I was incredibly, incredibly hungover after quite a big night um, the, the, the previous night because I wasn't meant to be working that day. And um, I that was in the summer of uh, 2019 when Alex Albon... Um, got promoted to Red Bull and Pierre Gasly was uh, dumped back in at Toro Rosso and I remember um, I wasn't told I needed to but I felt compelled to pile in help out and write some stuff and uh, that is possibly the worst state I've ever uh, written anything in so fortunately I was in a better position physically and mentally to get stuck into to this Red Bull driver swap on this occasion <laughs> <laughs> well it certainly has been a strange one because yeah my, my feeling was very similar I wasn't at all surprised that it happened. I was expecting it to happen after a couple more Grand Prix. I'd have pretty much laid money on it being in the August break. That was where the indications were pointing to. And as I think I said on a podcast recently, De Vries's time was pretty much marked. I think the die has been cast there for a, a while. But yeah, the fact that it was with immediate effect and the fact that they've gone for Ricardo, a little bit more unexpected depending on uh, on your level of unexpectedness. So plenty for us to get into. And we're going to break the topic down a little bit. So first, we'll, we'll just talk about Ricardo himself, because he said he had no interest in driving an uncompetitive car just a few months ago. I remember back in the last season, I guess we're talking seven, eight months ago now, if you're counting, he was saying, well, he didn't want to jump into a, an uncompetitive car and and not be himself and not enjoy it. But now he's driving in, he's jumping into a car that, is very much uncompetitive and probably if you're being most generous you'll say it's the ninth best car in F1 on on current form firmly Q1 fodder yeah absolutely he um he made it very clear he didn't want to drive uncompetitive F1 machinery and he's stepping into one of if not the most uncompetitive F1 machine on the current grid so um he is obviously the the, the big thing is circumstances have changed he's he's had those few months out of formula 1 in terms of active duty um, he had the winter to to reset. He started to rebuild rebuild himself on the Red Bull Simulator. It took some time away, and I bumped into him and had a brief chat with him in Miami. I remember it was, and he was he just said like he was so hungry to come back. Even by then, he was, you know, he's really determined to to try and make it happen in the best way possible. So I think the difference is that about a year ago, maybe you know. 10, 11 months ago, really. You had an AlphaTauri seat on the table. You had Haas or Williams seats um, on the table as well. And Ricardo wasn't interested in any of those because after the bruising time at McLaren, he wasn't—he he didn't want to go through all of that again. You know, he wanted to be in a competitive seat. But after a few months out, chance to take stock, realised that the best way to get into a... The only way to get into a top seat again is to prove himself. And he has to be in a car. He has to be on the grid to do that. And with AlphaTauri, you know that there is always, always, always at least a small chance that it will lead or can lead to a Red Bull racing seat again in the future. I am firmly of the opinion 
that Ricardo does not take this seat, does not accept this move, if he does not believe there is some chance he can take Sergio Perez's seat in the future. And I know we're going to talk about Perez in a little bit more detail later on, but that that's why Ricardo's doing it, right? That he's not doing this just to, because he thinks it'll be a fun way to spend the second half of the year. Yeah, I think probably the willingness to do this is something that tells you he's serious about it so that will have have helped for them but it's uh yeah it, it's going to be a very interesting scenario for him to jump into now the fact the car's not competitive in itself isn't a problem because he's got to show he can get in the car and be the Daniel Ricciardo of old because it doesn't matter whether he's qualifying 14th or first or 20th well 19th I guess it would be because he'd need to be beating his teammate really but if he's getting the absolute maximum out of the car and able to drive it with confidence that'll show up and you know people can see that it is the old Ricardo. So the fact it's not that quick isn't fundamentally a problem. I'm quite interested in how he'll deal with the limitations of the car because it's a tricky one. I did write a piece on the race website about this and I actually compared the Alfa and the Alfa Tauri because like the Alfa Romeo is not a particularly quick car at the moment. But all season, the drivers have both said, actually, it's pretty well balanced. There's no major vices with it. Now, the Alpha Tauri is a very different kettle of fish. It's had this problem, this late entry uh, instability in slower corners, mid-corner understeer, that it had last year as well. And this has been a, a real limiting factor. They've tried to improve it. They've made some progress, but it's still very much there. So I'll be very interested to see how Ricardo deals with that because he's a driver very much likes to attack the uh, the corner entry phase with confidence I think the fact the car in the initial turn in it seems to be okay is is hopefully encouraging for him I'm not going to say it's exactly the same as the McLaren because it won't be or anything but he's got a car that's got some limitations that could hurt a driver's confidence that he needs to work around and I'm really interested to see how that goes because it could go either way for him there's no way to tell it it's not fundamentally incompatible with him as a driver but there are elements of it that could be so big challenge yeah because at the moment obviously Ricardo is the little bit of credit that he still has is that he can point to the last couple of years and say that it was a McLaren problem but if he goes to another team which he is now doing if he drives another car and if he struggles again it very 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 clearly becomes a Ricardo problem doesn't it and now that's not to say that the issues with the McLaren the the um, intricacies of driving it the, the slight weirdness of, of that car and what it needs wasn't um, a Ricardo issue because he should have dealt with it better than he did. That is something that, pe- that that really does need to be stressed. But if it carries over to another car, then it becomes more than just, oh, it was a specific set of circumstances because those circumstances are obviously quite easily repeatable. So Ricardo for himself, as much as anything, I think needs to get in there, get comfortable straight away and be competitive. I think he needs to beat Yuki Tsunoda fairly quickly and he probably needs to beat him quite a lot more than he doesn't before the end of the year to to really boost his chances of, of anything else. I mean, there's noise about him having a positive Pirelli tyre test for, for Red Bull today, Tuesday, as, as we sit and record this. I don't really buy that. Um, not to say that he didn't do a good job. There's a very decent chance he did a perfectly good job but I think the amount that you actually can learn from that given Pirelli is controlling everything I I think it's really mislead like things like oh Ricardo apparently set a lap time that was good enough for the front row of the Grand Prix I think that's colossally misleading because it's a different day different set of circumstances we don't know tyres fuel loads etc etc so I'm I'm a bit wary of trusting that too much it's what he does in the Alpha Tauri that matters a lot more than what he did today and also 
let's not pretend that the decision followed that test. It's not like they yeah, said, oh, exactly. had a great that, I think it's just a convenient thing to to put together, isn't it? To say, Oh, he's had this fantastic test. Well actually, no, it's not that he may well have done a very very good sensible job i'm sure he did you know he's a professional driver he can do a tire test and do it very well i'm sure no doubt about that and you know he was consistently struggling for pace with mclaren but he wasn't incompetent or anything so yeah exactly yeah, it's, it's not that so yeah I, th- I think from from that perspective there's obviously a, a wider thing that we'll get on to in, in a minute about what red bull are, uh, are doing with him but i also think we we should say this this is i think very good news for formula one because with the greatest of respect to Nick De Vries, he's not the star name that Daniel Ricciardo is. So actually, especially in this season where even though there's been some great storylines this season, that um, that crushing brilliance from Max Verstappen and Red Bull up front, which is absolutely incredible what they're doing, but it does get quite repetitive for people. So it's great to have this little injection before the August break of, well, here's this eight-time Grand Prix winner coming back. Not just that, but one of the, the char- most charismatic and most popular drivers on the grid. So it's pretty good for Formula One. Yeah, it's it's, it's huge. Um, to Also, for, don't forget, obviously, we still have two US races. That The fact that R- Ricardo will be on the grid for the Las Vegas race, I think it's going to be a massive deal commercially. And I'm sure that picking Ricardo had some marketing and commercial uh, merit behind it when Red Bull was making this decision because I I think if it works then for Alpha Tauri Ricardo is clearly a better choice than Liam Lawson putting in another rookie mid-season um, to do this would have been a big risk it it could have impacted Lawson's development as as a driver it would have taken away his chance of winning the Super Formula title this year although I suspect if you asked Lawson I, I would imagine he would take a Formula One drive over the chance to see out that that campaign. But there's there's off track reasons as well, you know. Put AlphaTauri is really struggling as a team at the moment. There's not a lot going on. Red Bull's really trying to work out how to improve that team situation and really find out what its purpose is. And, and plonking arguably the most marketable driver in Formula One and probably the most the second most famous after after Lewis Hamilton um, in in that seat is a surefire way to get good attention and turn that into a little bit of a good news story. So. There's a lot more that you get out of putting Ricardo in that car than Lawson. But the key thing is ultimately sporting performance. That is what this this comes down to. And I would be surprised if Ricardo doesn't turn out to be a very decent decision. And if I would you you're never going to be able to do the A B test, but I would also be surprised if Ricardo did a worse job than Lawson would have done if you stuck him in the car. Um so we'll see how it plays out. Obviously, like I say, I think that commercial factor is um, is is certainly an element, and uh, no doubt the makers of uh, Netflix uh, Netflix's Drive to Survive will be extremely pleased to have Ricardo back on the grid because I suspect they were absolutely scrambling for storylines. Yeah, that's given them a whole episode, or at least the the best part of it hasn't probably hasn't two. Not, very very likely, yeah, they can uh, they can have some big uh, big sections on him. But I think on balance, I. I would expect this to go well for Ricardo. Ricardo is a very, very good driver. McLaren went very, very badly. And as I've said before on this podcast, it was his own failure, ultimately. Yes, there are all sorts of reasons for it. But, you know, he wasn't stitched up. He It wasn't, you know, the, the car, he did not get the best out of it. That was demonstrably true, as pretty much every week, Lando Norris was getting a load more out of the car. That's just a fact. So you still have this driver, though, who has done some great things in Formula One. And... 
you know, people tend to just think, oh, that just showed he wasn't ever very good. Well, that's, that's nonsense. He has been a superb driver. There have been a couple of seasons where you can make a very compelling case that he was the best driver in Formula One that year in 2014 and 2016. So, yeah, I, I think on balance he's likely to to do it well, but it's going to be really interesting to watch. I'm going to be keeping a very, very close eye on his progress in, in Hungary and, uh, and at Spa and, uh, yeah. Hope it goes well for him, and uh, hopefully it'll it'll pay off in terms of the uh, delivery in the car. The one other thing I would add from a specific Ricardo going there per- perspective is uh, what it means for Yuki Sonoda, um, because this is a really interesting situation for Sonoda to to be in now. De Vries was um, uh, Sonoda was always going to have to demolish De Vries to emerge with any sort of positive. Uh, outcome of being his teammate otherwise it felt like a pretty no-win situation given De Vries wasn't particularly highly rated and was a was a rookie and Sonoda was in his third year but Sonoda's done exactly that he's smashed De Vries out of the park over the course of the 10 races on, on on the whole and by and large has looked like the driver that he ended last season as which was much more impressive and actually more or less matching overall Pierre Gasly who was a good benchmark and I never really bought into the idea that Gasly had checked out and was already you know, you know, focusing on his Alpine move or anything like that. I think, I think someone like Gasly and any F1 driver is a bit too competitive, really, to let that happen. So, Ricardo coming in puts a very different known benchmark up against, um, or for for Sonoda to match up against, and it could be enormous for Sonoda's uh, value within Formula One if um, Ricardo. Uh, I'd be amazed if Ricardo gets nowhere near him. But if Sonoda beats him on balance, then I don't think people will look at that and say, oh, well, yeah, but Ricardo only came in mid-season, so it's not that big a deal. I, I, I do think people will give Sonoda credit if he is able to, you know, if it's a narrow margin over Ricardo, maybe not. But if it's a comprehensive victory in that teammate fight from Hungary onwards, then I think Sonoda will be due a bit of credit. At the same time, it will probably damage Ricardo's reputation, not as much as the McLaren stint, but it will erode any of the sort of enduring um, stock value that he had. But it, uh, to me, it's just quite interesting to see how Sonoda stacks up against this. It's a fantastic benchmark for him to have professionally on track and and off track. Do you? What do you think? Will, can Sonoda rise to that challenge? Is it a? Is this a win lose situation for him, or is it a bit no win? I think there's a yeah, there's a way for him to win in this situation. Definitely, he's had a good season. He's been comfortably the most consistent version of Yuki Tsunoda we've seen. I don't think it's been an overnight transformation that some people have seen. He was being pretty strong in the second half of last season. Still a little bit erratic, but he was stacking up pretty well against Gasly and dealing with some of the car limitations pretty well, even when they were ones the limitations that he's not so keen on. So I think Tsunoda's come on. Yeah, quite nicely, and he's operating at a good level. He's just showing well in a car that is not very good, ultimately. No, no, I'm not sitting here thinking, well, he's not getting into Q3 or whatever. Well, there's not that many occasions when he can get into Q3, certainly not of late in an Alpha Tari. So, yeah, I've been, I've been impressed with his season, and uh, yeah, it's an opportunity for him as well. You have to see all of these things as an opportunity at this level, because when push comes to shove, if you deliver in the car if you're stronger than the person next to you on the other side of the garage, if you're getting close to 100% out of the car, then you are doing your job and that will always be good for your career. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's move on now to the inevitable question of whether this is part of a wider Red Bull gambit to do something. So would you be worried if you were Sergio Perez, given Ricardo's history with Red Bull Racing, to see him back on the grid in the sister team? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because like I said earlier, I hinted at this, Ricardo's not going to settle for just driving for Red Bull's sister team again. His reason for agreeing to do this will be, be because he has something much bigger in mind. In fact, he has, I think, even said emphatically, the only reason he would consider an Alfa Tauri drive is if he thought it was a route back to Red Bull Racing. And let's face it, a route back to Red Bull Racing doesn't mean replacing Max Verstappen, does it? He's uh, He's got a seat for life or for as long as, as he wants to be there because he's the, the driver that, that team's built around. And any conversation about Red Bull's driver lineup across both teams and Ricardo's prospects must inevitably involve Checo. The timing of Ricardo's return to the grid couldn't be worse for him given Checo's current form. You know, he's failed to make Q3 five races in a row. He's struggling. He's admitted that he's got issues with the car that are being um, exposed. And all the while, Verstappen's absolutely dominating. Is it six wins on the bounce now, I think, for Verstappen? Something like that. And he's running away with the championship. Um, Obviously, Checo's lucky that his problems, yeah, he's got one podium in five races, I think. It isn't costing Red Bull anything other than a more emphatic championship lead and a few more trophies because Verstappen's going to win the championship, Red Bull's going to win the championship. Verstappen's wins aren't under threat because he doesn't need a wingman, such as his advantage and, and the quality of the car. So Perez is getting away with underperforming, but that won't be the case forever because sooner or later, Red Bull's rivals will get their act together. Sooner or later, Verstappen will slip up. He'll have a car problem. And then Perez's underperformance will have a tangible loss for, for Red Bull. So I think I think Ricardo will be looking at that and sensing an opportunity. Red Bull insists that Perez has uh, the hierarchy's full support. It sounds a bit like the dreaded vote of confidence uh, to me. So Ricardo will be looking at this and thinking, I think he's vulnerable. And I think if I go there and absolutely smash it, I can take this seat away from him. And I would imagine that Red Bull, while they're not actively planning to replace Perez with Ricardo, I think they'll be open to the idea. Otherwise, I don't really think they'd be that interested in evaluating Ricardo properly. So I would be worried if I if I was Perez. There is now a driver who was already on the periphery, who loves it at Red Bull and is loved by Red Bull. There are loads of reasons to have him on the grid and in the team. And he might just be sorting himself out as a driver to be getting back to his best. And now he's actually on the grid in a in an F1 car in a position where he can impre- impress Red Bull from within. So yeah, he's an absolute live threat now. He's not just a theoretical threat. I think he's a live one. And I guess the question there is, how 
incidental is that threat? As in, is this a calculated move by Red Bull to put pressure on? Is it an outright evaluation of Ricardo to put him in the seat? Or is it something that's completely unconnected to that and actually they wanted a driver in AlphaTauri, they had Daniel Ricardo lying around, so why not? Well, I would I would say it's very similar to what I said at the end of last season when you remember Ricardo got announced as the third driver after Abu Dhabi and I said at the time that this was basically a subtle warning to Perez effectively because it brought someone into the fold who theoretically could be a a threat to, to for Perez's seat that came off the back of Brazil last year where obviously Perez and Verstappen had that flashpoint which dated back to Monaco and there was obviously a lot of tension within the Red Bull camp. Ricardo being around was always a little bit of a, a subtle, just watch yourself Perez, stay in line. That's kind of how it could have been interpreted and all the while he's doing a very good job on track and not causing Verstappen problems, Perez has nothing to fear because he can be a great wingman at his best. But if there's any hint of needle between him and Verstappen, if he doesn't get the qualifying form together, if he follows up the poor qualifying form with a really weak performance in the races, for example, then then I think Perez really does need to, to, to worry. And I think Red Bull will have played this in a way where they know that a an indirect, a secondary consequence maybe even benefit they might be viewing it as of Ricardo being in that AlphaTauri seat is that Perez has another the fire underneath him just gets cranked up that little bit more so they can continue to publicly back him they can continue to say and do all of the right things because I believe Red Bull is trying to help Checo because it's in the team's interest too but they'll let this other factor which is Ricardo being in a in another garage in another Red Bull owned car a few you know meters down the pit lane indirectly apply that pressure that Red Bull doesn't have to do just yet. Yeah, it's interesting to see how this does affect Perez because he needs to just get things stabilised under control, doesn't he? It's been a, a difficult run and I guess it could go either way, this sort of thing, if it's going to let him affect him. And, you know, drivers, he will say in Hungary, no, it's no problem, doesn't matter, etc., etc. I've got a contract. But these things do prey on the mind of, of drivers. They're only human beings after all, so it's only natural. So that that is interesting. And maybe they feel that's what they need to remind him to focus on doing what he needs to do and not get too sucked into trying to take on Verstappen all the time, which I think is part of the problem. The the thing that the thing to remember and to stress is at the moment Checo's Sunday performances are nowhere near the level required to drop him because he is doing a good job and obviously it's been exaggerated in the last few events because he's been starting so far down the grid in such a good car that the recoveries look better which does flatter him a little bit but also means the results aren't as good as they should be but if he gets back to where he was at the start of the season, then he's got nothing to worry about. So it's, it's within his control. That's the thing. Whereas when Gasly got dropped, when Albon got dropped, they were just all round fundamentally underperforming. And Perez isn't at that level. And that is important to stress. It, it is in his control. Yeah, I think that's very, very true. And it won't take a huge amount for Perez to get back to that because he is an experienced driver. He is a very capable driver. And I think if he can just start 
you know, putting that car second on the grid, picking up the, the, the second places to complete those one twos, then, uh, then he'll be absolutely fine for them. They will be very, very content with that. And you think surely these runs of not making it to Q3 can't continue. But then again, I'd have said that probably before, uh, before Silverstone and probably before Austria as well. So yeah, difficult time for him. But yeah, if Ricardo is to pick up a bit of momentum though imagine if ricardo has a run of a few races where he starts doing really good things you know in that car that doesn't mean a great deal but starts picking up the odd ninth and tenth place you know qualifying the car 12th 13th or something on days when it's not great then that will i I think perhaps have a little bit of an effect because then there'll also be a bit of a a groundswell of support for ricardo and people will be saying well why don't you put him in the car come on but as you say it'll all come down to how they perform in the car, how Perez performs, how Ricardo performs, how Sonoda performs. That's just the way it works in Formula One. And even in a tricky environment like Red Bull, that is the bottom line. We'll get back to the pod in a moment. But first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Well, we haven't talked now much about Nick DeVries, have we, Scott? And the AlphaTauri release barely mentioned him. Franz Tos did at least deign to refer to him by saying they thanked Nick for his contribution. I don't think he got a surname in the press release. So interesting tone there. Did Nick DeVries deserve his fate of being booted out after 10 races? Uh, I'll answer it slightly differently. He deserved better than this. I don't think it's fair to have dropped him after 10 races. And I think the way that they dropped him and that that communication, I think, is pretty disrespectful um, because... You've literally barely given him a word. You haven't even said, his, as you say, like, did he even get a full name? It's. I just find it so. I just find it so strange. It reminds me a little bit of when Renault did that really passive-aggressive release, acknowledging the 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 Ricardo McLaren move, um, which I think was announced uh, twenty twenty early twenty twenty before the season had even started up because of obviously the the COVID enforced hiatus. And you just think, I just don't understand why these releases lack so much class. It's it's really not that difficult. Um, if you know, if you're going to take this kind of ruthless, drastic action, at least own it. At least have the decency to kind of step up and just be like, "Yeah, we've made this decision. He hasn't performed to the standards we expect. Um, we put him in a difficult position. He only had a day and a half of testing. He's only had ten races, but we just feel in that time we've seen enough to think that it's not going to improve to the level that we need it to. People don't have to like it, but just." own it a little bit more just be upfront about it i find it so strange and then the bigger picture element is only having those 10 races like what the hell did red bull or particularly helmet marco expect i mean i'm <laughs> you signed nick de Vries. 
so Nick DeVries is going to perform a bit like Nick DeVries, isn't he? Where on his best day, he's probably going to be a perfectly decent lower midfield Grand Prix driver, but then the rest of the time, he might not even be at that level. The car's not very good, so it's difficult for him to adjust in, 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 in that sense. He is up against a third-year teammate who is going to do a better job and is fighting for his own uh, future. You get a day and a half testing at the start of the season. Um, I just... I honestly don't understand what they could possibly... Did Marco genuinely look at De Vries's performance in the Italian Grand Prix last year, which I maintain, and I know you do too, was a very good drive that is colossally under, underestimated, but was just one bit of data in a wider sample set that Nick De Vries is just a sort of solid professional racing driver, not a lost mega talent from F1. Did Marco watch that performance and think, oh, if we put him in an Alpha Tower, he'll score points every weekend? Like, I don't understand what could possibly be, have been the rationale or expectation that would then lead you to think Nick De Vries would do so much more than he's done in these first 10 races. And it, this is so underwhelming that he deserves to be dropped before the summer break. Well, to me, the overwhelming feeling is one of what on earth was the point of this whole thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Red Bull, what, what was the purpose? Because by definition, if you sign him, you see something in him. So you must think this is somebody worth investing in. And to get rid of them after 10 races without any kind of overwhelming, terrible conduct reason or something just makes no sense. Now, Nidavis' performances haven't been stunning. They haven't been catastrophic. He hasn't been as quick as Sonoda generally, but he hasn't been painfully slow. He's lacked a little bit peaks. I think it would have been nice for there to have been a bit of a calling card performance. He struggled to do that. Probably Spain was the opportunity for him to do that. His underlying pace there was pretty good, but Q1 went a bit wrong for him, and he had those two spins on that bit of water in the final sector, and that put him massively out of sync. I think I think maybe he could have qualified, perhaps nudged into Q3, and maybe he'd be able to score a point in the race then. I, I don't know. But yeah, his performances haven't been stunning, but they've not been terrible. So... It just seems all very middling. So the whole decision to bring him in in the first place seems to have been so kind of offhand and vague because it's been brushed aside almost with a feather, as it were. So I'm not furious that it's a great injustice he's been sacked because when push comes to shove, he could have delivered better and he'd have kept his drive because of that. But it's not a long time to give a driver. So it just all strikes me as a dire indictment of their of their strategy with drivers. It just makes very, very little sense to to do that. I, I I think, fine, once you've given up on him, you probably do have to move him on. And it's pretty clear they've given up on him for a few races now as well. So, yeah, the whole thing just seems to have collapsed far, far too quickly. Well, it's been dead man walking, hasn't it, for a, for a few races now. And in a way, I admire getting rid of him now so that they don't axe him at, at, during the summer break, when the first race after that Zandvoort, his home Grand Prix, and I take your point as well. Like if you if you if you've lost faith and you want to get rid of him, just get rid of him s- straight away. Like, d- just d- there's no point in dragging it out. But your faith in him should endure longer than that. If no, 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 no. I agree. Finding. That that that's the thing that I kind of that that's the thing that I just can't really grasp. Well, I know it's Red Bull and this sort of thing happens, but it just seems extraordinary given his level of performance has not been, you know, if he was a second slower than Sonoda all the time, you'd say, oh, come on, this guy's just not up to it. But he's not been, he's, he's, yeah, he's been a step behind, but not, not terribly so. So that, that's the thing that's just thrown me. No, it's farcical. It's absolutely farcical. My, my, my point is more just sort of furthering yours, which is that once you have given up, 
there's there's no point in waiting for another arbitrary point in the season or even going to the end of the year, is That's there? True, because yeah. you, because you, you you've just decided not to bother. But to get yourself in a position where you've given up on that driver before 10 races because as you say this this would have been set in stone a, a while ago now it's just ludicrous and it shows that the 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 recruitment process and the management process within that organization is deeply deeply flawed helmet marco has too much influence for someone who is that impulsive franz tost has spent the last six months telling us that he thinks the driver he stands by drivers need three years nick needs more time and now his team has a new driver coming in and debris has been dropped after 10 races tost clearly doesn't believe in that like the, so it just it makes a mockery of uh, of the whole thing and also what a complete vote of no confidence in the young driver program just to feed even more into that haphazard nature of how this is all being managed because Liam Lawson's now been snubbed not once but twice in 12 months or less than 12 months for that seat and I mentioned this earlier you can you can make all kind of argument of oh it's better for him to stay in super formula rather than dump him mid-season but it's nonsense if you really believed in him as a talent you'd be putting him in the, putting him in that car straight away you'd have been in that car already so they've got what a dozen drivers on their books racing in proper junior categories and I don't think Red Bull really has much faith in any of them because if they did they then then they wouldn't have picked a driver who's 28 and been looked over for a reason by so many other teams over their juniors to begin with and then overlook them when they want to get rid of that guy 10 races in yeah i think the red bull approach to young drivers there are elements of it that could i don't mind the very high standards they set i don't mind the fact they say look we want a future world champion not just a good f1 level driver or whatever they can be ruthless if they want to be but i have big concerns about the the way they measure drivers certainly in terms of recruiting because that seems a bit scattergun and that was kind of okay some years ago when there weren't so many of these schemes around, but there's more and more of them. And to be honest, the top F1 teams, they really do treat this almost like football club scouting. Like a top football club will be super rigorous with their scouting and the way they track young players and that kind of thing and the background information they build up, etc. And that's what allows you to try and pluck out the really, really good ones. It's not just if you happen to see them on a good day or whatever. So yeah, not great for for Red Bull at this stage. And the one thing I think we can say is that Nick DeVries should probably land on his feet. There'll be Formula E teams interested in him. He'd obviously started to make his way in sports cars as well. So I actually think for Nick DeVries... Until it's done, you can't be sure. But I think it should work out for him because I think he'll land on his feet and he'll kind of pick up his professional career as it was before this detour into Formula One. And at least he's had a little bit of a crack at Formula One, I guess. That's something. So he'll probably be all right. As uh, one final word on De Vries, I thought I could um, test you with a a little game at the end of this. Um, so the answers have to be relatively quick fire. You can pontificate for a sentence or two if you want. But this is the—I think this is now the fourth time in seven years the Red Bulls dropped or swapped drivers across its two teams during the season. So De Vries is the latest victim of this merry-go-round. So what I, what your task here is, Ed? I'm going to read out the the swaps, and I want you to tell me how egregious, how much more egregious De Vries's performances were versus these drivers. Like, so basically, is he more or less fortunate? than those drivers. Do you understand the principle of the game? I think so. Okay, so 2016, Daniel Kvyat out, Max Verstappen in at Red Bull Racing. Yes, well, that was deserved for Verstappen ultimately, wasn't it? I guess uh, what's happened has shown that was the case and Kvyat dropped in and falls on his feet. So that that one was okay. I mean, a little bit harsh on Kvyat maybe, but when you've got a mega talent like Verstappen, what are you going to do? 
Then, so, okay, so then 2017, Kvyat out again, Hartley slash Gasly in at Toro Rosso. You remember they swapped the seats a little bit because there was also a slightly complicated element to this one with Carlos Sainz obviously moved across to Renault as part of the whole wider deal. But the but the the core thing was Kvyat thrown out before the end of the season, wasn't it? So, De Vries, harsher than Kvyat or not as harsh as Kvyat in 17? I think it's probably harsher insofar as yeah, if you measure his points totals against science it was pretty terrifying in that period the difference it, it was something absolutely massive and, and I, I see why that happened with yeah although I do think the wider situation with the fact that they had effectively they had two seats for the following year because it was then Hartley and Gasly wasn't it who had both dropped in during that season from that perspective maybe slightly disorganized from a, a, a team perspective but yeah, I kind of get it. Although, yeah, once he knew the die was cast, he came back for the US Grand Prix, I think, because Gasly was doing uh, super formula. And actually, he had a really, really good weekend at, at Cota. <laughs> okay, and then the final one, which is actually, there's a, there's a bit more similarity because obviously it was the driver losing their seat, well, actually, at the summer break. So he lasted a little bit longer. But 2019, Gasly out, Albon in, Red Bull Racing, and obviously uh, Gasly back to Toro Rosso. So, De Vries, more or less unlucky than Gasly was in 2019? I think that one's tricky. I think probably you could maybe say a little bit more unlucky. I think it's it becomes very difficult because some of the reasons Gasly was busted back down to Toro Rosso was down to certain elements of his approach as well. It wasn't just performance, although I think there's certain elements in De Vries's approach that maybe didn't entirely gel with the team, although they do speak very highly of him as a technical driver. Technical feedback's very, very good. That's probably his strongest point, actually, uh, Nick De Vries. So, yeah, uh, I sort of see see that. So It's not completely out of keeping, is it, with with the way this, this team does things, but the one... The one thing it does show is just the whole thing's chaotic, isn't it? There's just a chaotic approach going on here because it should be nice and simple, shouldn't it? It should be you roll your juniors in and then when there's a space at the senior team, you put them in or they have their two, three years, you think they're not good enough, off they go. The next cab off the rank steps in. But the next cab off the rank, you know, the, the rank has been somewhat somewhat badly arranged and uh, and all over the shop in, in recent years, hasn't it? Which is why we have seen these the Hartleys and the Kvyat's being recalled and obviously Alban they they re-signed again having had him before and Nick De Vries they didn't seem to be that interested in and then suddenly they were so yeah it does all show things are very very odd I think the one thing I would say in terms of overall how unlucky Nick De Vries is it doesn't surprise me it's ended this way I would have expected it to end at some point with him deciding actually he's fine but he's not a superstar in waiting that is no surprise. I, I would have, I would have said going into the season, the earliest that would happen would be the end of the year. Would have been my prediction. So I'd have been dead wrong. Yeah, I, I, I would not have been surprised if De Vries was a one season wonder. Um, but I thought he'd be given the full season. And I think you've, um, you've performed in that little game slash test exactly as I thought a sensible person reviewing them would be. I think it shows that De Vries is certainly on the harsher side of things, but it isn't massively harsh in the context of how rebels handle things over the past just under a decade because really it has been all at sea since Verstappen came through hasn't it it just hasn't had any kind of clarity um, of what their next plan is and they've just ended up in complete disarray and remember Max Verstappen was a fairly scattergun recruit yeah in the obviously he wasn't a proper rebel junior exactly but you know they they really 
went to town to get him, but it wasn't like they nurtured him through carting or anything. It was uh, it was a relatively late one. So yeah, there's question marks. I I, I think there. Push comes to shove. If Nick DeVries had performed stunningly well, this wouldn't have happened. I also think he'll have gone into it with his eyes open. I think he took this Alpha Tauri opportunity over, say, the Williams opportunity, because it was a chance that put him in a car that also, if he performed superbly well, could then put him in a pathway into Red Bull Racing. Now, I get why he went that way, because you kind of shoot for the moon, don't you? Ultimately, it's not worked out. So well, it's high upside, wasn't exactly it? Exactly, high upside. So I think probably he'll be shocked by quite how quickly it's happened. But also, he'll have gone into it with his eyes open, won't he? He knew that this was a possible outcome, even if this was perhaps the more extreme and savage version of that than, uh, than might be anticipated. But I think one thing we do know is there are going to be podcasts again that the race records that we will be talking about an Alpha Tauri or whatever it's going to be called in the future driver being moved in or out or somewhere or so you know th- this is going to happen again isn't it unless of course there's some kind of change there I mean obviously Helmut Marco is uh he's not in the first flush of youth although he's still uh still in, in pretty good nick so I'm sure he could keep going for quite a long time but there may be some changes there maybe they'll sit down and think actually we need to get this a little bit more measured and under control yeah, let's see if it um see see how it interrupts our day next time. Hopefully I won't be um you know nursing a horrific hangover or managing or, or you know waiting to have my lunch in a, in a, in a pub next time. Hopefully it's a slight if they could just be a little bit more considerate of our time that would be lovely. Well, we shall request Red Bull do that next time and see if they can uh, be a little bit more uh, considerate. Well, thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks to Scott for your insight. Head to therace.com, loads to read there. Don't forget the hyphen if you're heading to have a read there. We've written plenty of AlphaTauri, DeVries, Ricardo-related stuff. Check out our other podcasts, including the Race F1 Tech Show with Gary Anderson and our IndyCar podcast and Bring Back V10s as well. Also have a look at our YouTube channel. Well, as today has shown, there's always some news around the corner in F1, so stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.